Welcome back to the Nine on Your Side Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Layton. Today, I am very excited. I literally cannot keep it in. I am with ESPN softball analyst, someone with a very colorful resume, Jenny Dalton-Hill. Thank you so much for joining me today. No, so excited to be here. So let's talk about why you're here. Let's go into that. Yeah, so we're in Greenville, North Carolina right now, calling the Little League Softball World Series. I think you brought this over just to (laughs) be able to showcase that. So exciting to see 12 teams, ages 9 to 12, actually 10 to 12 playing here in Greenville in the Little League Softball World Series. How exciting is it to come back to this? Like, what do you love about being here, getting to call little girls playing? Well, the thing that's crazy is I actually played in the Little League Softball World Series when I was little. So it's fun. And I played in the championship game. We lost, you know, those things never (laughs) leave you. And um, to be able to be back here and play and call the games is really a full circle moment because I get to brag on the girls that were sitting in my position decades ago I won't say how many but just a long time ago and to be able to see where my journey went after being able to start in Little League softball and then be able to be so successful and have such a fun run playing such a great game. I never got to play Little League. What was that like? I never got to do that. I didn't get to play World Series. Well, and we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so Little League was the perfect thing for our family because we could play in our local communities. There wasn't a ton of travel. When you got to be able to play in the All-Stars, everything was paid for. So for our family, it was the perfect fit. I didn't play travel softball until I was, I think, 16 years old because we just didn't have the money. Mm -hmm. And so Little League was the perfect answer for our family. What? What got you into softball? When did you start playing? How did you get there? I think my mom and dad signed me up for every single sport (laughs) imaginable because I just could not sit still. So softball was just on the list of all the things I've done. Gymnastics and volleyball and basketball and swim and tennis and literally everything you can think of I've played. And so softball was just one of the things that stuck. And I actually didn't get recruited softball first. I got recruited for college to play basketball or volleyball before I got recruited for softball. So it was kind of fun to be able to sit back and have options for college rather than just being, well, this is my only thing I get to do. Mm -hmm. So you talk about getting recruited in college. Let's talk about your very colorful, beautiful college softball resume. Let's talk about that. I mean, you had a great career. And I want to hear from your perspective how that was, because you can read all about it if you want to. (laughs) But now she's sitting here, and I want to hear from you. What was that like? It was pretty cool to be able to step into the University of Arizona as a freshman. And um, I thought I was going to be a starting shortstop, but my first couple of days practicing there, we had another player who went into coach's office and said, if she continues to play there, I'm going to transfer, which was unique back in that time. The transfer portal was not a thing. And so I actually moved over to second base, which was completely new to me. I had never played on the other side of the infield, took a long time to transition over there and then blew my ankle out actually right before the World Series my freshman year, got back to got taped up enough and spatted up enough to be able to play the, the championship game against UCLA. Got to win that champ, That's that so freshman cool. year. And we were, we were so, we were such a blue collar team. Coach Candrea is an amazing man, an amazing coach. He coaches with Team Italy now. He actually coached Team USA to a gold medal and a silver medal in the Olympics. But more than anything, Coach Candrea believed in me. And because of the belief he had in me, he trusted me with a lot of different situations. And I became a leader of that program at Arizona. We got to, we won three national championships while I was there, played in the finals that fourth year. And that that championship actually was stripped from UCLA because of rules violations. So technically we've won, we won four straight oh national gosh. championships <laughs> while I was at Arizona. 
what, what was that feeling like? I mean, just, you know, kind of softball aside, how did you feel when you knew it was seventh inning, whatever, I mean, you guys won? I don't think like? you ever let your hair down in those moments because you know you're playing the best in the country. And so those those situations, it's, it's scary because, not scary, but you know that you can't let anything go. You have to make sure that you're staying in the moment, getting the outs in the moment so that nothing comes back to haunt you later. Oh, yeah. um, and sometimes people will say, well, which which championship is your favorite? They each have a different flavor. You know, sometimes you go to the ice cream store and you're feeling strawberry. Sometimes you're feeling <laughs> rainbow sherbet. Each of those championships has a different flavor, but the first one you never forget because I had never been on top of the world like that, and it was just surreal. I never got to have that experience playing at ECU, but we did uh, my sophomore year. We're in conference tournament, and we played Tulsa, who was mm -hmm. the conference champions the year before. We were kind of the underdog all four years, but we go in to play Tulsa and we won. And we were so, so excited. The rest of the tournament gets rained out. I mean, we were in all the way in Houston and we were like, we're about to win the conference championship, go to, you know, to regionals or whatever. Whole rest of the tournament got rained out. I mean, we got screwed for lack of a better term. I mean, it was bad, right. but it's things like that you never forget. I mean, mm -mm. we just talked about how my senior year, unfortunately, uh, lost to Georgia at UGA on a walk-off Grand Slam. So that those kind of things you never forget. You so don't. I can't imagine being a national champion and just like, do you still, do you keep the ring? Do you still have the ring? Oh, of course you have the <laughs> rings and they're displayed. And it's funny because the rings back then were very small compared to what they are now. But the memories that are attached to those way more important than the hardware that you get. But yeah, the hardware is definitely important. Yeah. <laughs> now, Coach Candrea, I remember when I was growing up, he was kind of someone that I looked at and said, I really, I would love to play for somebody like him. Mm -hmm. And I have coaches like that now, but he is one that has always stuck out to me. I guess I, I mean, even watching him recently, I was always like, that guy looks so cool. You know, so like off of TV or how, mm -hmm. how was he? Was he kind of the same? Cause I mean, he looked kind of calm on TV sometimes. Same, the same. exact same. And I don't know, he tells the story all the time when he's speaking around the world about how you have to believe in your players. And I was one of those players who did not believe in themselves. I walked in, into his office my freshman year and told him, I don't think I'm good enough to play at this school. And he said, you're going to lead this team to national championships. You're going to be a leader in this program you need to understand I believe in you more than maybe you believe in yourself. And so that belief was so important to me because he was right. Mm -hmm. I could look down the baseline. I could see him in the third base coach's box and there was never a doubt that he thought I could get it done. So the importance of being a coach that instills that kind of confidence in their players, so important because it makes all the difference. For any student athletes that might be listening, you said kind of, you, there wasn't a lot of confidence there, and I know that mm -hmm. I had a lot of issues with that my entire collegiate career, so I try to tell athletes who are playing now, get rid of it because it's really not that serious. You know, your, your confidence, try to push it up because you're going to look back and be like, I wish I would have had more confidence when I was playing because it's really, it's serious, but you will look back on it and be like, it was just softball, and then you miss it. Was there anything that you felt that you had to kind of work on? How did you get more confident? I don't know that you ever do. I think success brings confidence. So when you have those moments where you are successful, you can look back on them and say, if I did it, then I can do it again. But softball, baseball, games of failure, you fail a lot. Even a good hitter that hits 300 is failing seven out of 10 times. And so when you look at the failure rate that those sports have, it's really difficult to be able to say, oh, I'm amazing. I got out seven times competitors, those that are putting themselves up against somebody else, 
you never feel good enough. And one of the things that Coach Candrea always did with us is made sure that we didn't look back far and we didn't look ahead. We stayed in the moment. And so we were just looking at the next game, the next at bat, whatever it was that was something we could attach ourselves to. And more than anything, it was a blue collar mentality. We did not ever think we were good enough. And then when I look back and look at the numbers that we put up as a team, they were outstanding. They yeah. were phenomenal. And to the point that when I called games at the very beginning of my broadcast career, I would say, oh, this isn't a very good team. And my husband would say, Jenny, you can't compare them to the Arizona Wildcats of the 90s. These are the stars of today. Your numbers are still records. And those records are going to stand for decades. So you have to make sure that you're looking at these teams with a clear perspective, not judging them against the best that have ever played the game. Now you bring that up. How have you watched softball change over because I know it's changed since I started playing in 2005 so how have you watched the game grow I mean I feel like it's grown in the most positive way that I can even think of but what do you have to say about that well and when you started playing in 2005 that was the year that we went from just a regular regional and then women's college world series to a super regional which then gave or gave super regionals but also a championship series at the women's college world series and TV became a huge thing. Now, when I played, you got your championship game on TV, but it was tape delayed and edited for time. So you oh saw it later and you didn't see the whole game, but it was all we had. So it was, a, it was huge, it was a big moment. Now you see every pitch of the postseason. You're seeing so many pitches of games across the country, thousands of softball games, whether they're live streamed or done by ESPN on ESPN Plus or one of their linear networks. So cool to see how much exposure the game has gotten. That exposure has opened up doors for girls to start playing at a much younger age on much better teams with much better coaching, which has just propelled our game forward. But I have to tip my cap to ESPN for giving the the visibility to our sport that is just outstanding, that has grown it to these exponential levels, and we're just on the uptick. Mm -hmm. Now with travel softball, I got I was lucky enough, thank you to my parents, I was lucky enough to be able to do that and travel across the country because now when you're getting recruited, at least for D1 schools, I suppose, you kind of have to go out to California and Colorado and New York and wherever else maybe because PGF is a huge tournament out there. Have you seen travel ball change at all? Is there anything that you've noticed about that? The hard part about travel ball is everybody has their hand in the cookie jar and it's gotten so expensive that we've almost become a country club sport where you have to have a second or third job to be able to pay for just your participation because just being on a team doesn't mean you're going to play. We've seen the roster sizes inflate to over 20 players and with only nine playing every game, you see a lot of different athletes not get the opportunities to play. But what you're talking about with PGF, those are the elite of the elite, right? But everyone has now wanted to play in PGF. So that tournament has exploded and it's not always the elite of the elite. It might be a B squad that makes it there. And there's now another arm of coaches that have started the Alliance, which is a different arm of championship travel ball. So with the way that things are changing with the NIL and the transfer portal, the, the, just the groundwork and the, the landscape of softball is very different than when you played and then even compared to when I played. I was going to bring up the transfer portal because when I was in college, I mean, it was a thing, but it certainly wasn't as use as it is now and so you said back then the transfer portal really wasn't really a thing what do you what do you think about the transfer i always ask people this what their thoughts are on that and how serious it has become and kind of not even in softball but other sports it's like you can go play 
I have school for a year. And they're like, oh, I have more money over here. I'm going to go over here. NIL and everything. I was lucky enough to get out before NIL was a thing. <laughs> I got out. As soon as I realized, I said, maybe I'm not going to take my COVID here. I just, I don't know. I feel like it can be a good thing and a bad thing. Well, there's good and bad with everything, whether it's NIL or transfer portal. I think there are reasons that players should transfer or ha should have the ability to transfer. Mm -hmm. If you're not a good fit with your coach, if your teammates aren't supportive or a good fit for you, maybe distance has become an issue and you didn't realize that when you were a young freshman and or signing on to go play at a school there's a lot of reasons why the transfer portal is a very good thing when does it become a bad thing when players are doing it to elevate themselves over a program mm -hmm. i think loyalty has gone away where a coach has recruited you and spent time and money and effort getting you to their program giving you scholarship dollars and opportunities and an education but then you go against that just because the grass looks greener on the other side. For me, that's the problem. It has nothing to do with, I think the transfer portal is bad. I'm worried about how loyalty plays into our society and how I'm always, players are looking to be always willing to trade in what they have for what they think is a little bit better opportunity. And if, if you're looking at that as a marriage or a job, that's a hard the habit to break mm -hmm. and I'm worried about what the future of our country looks like if the transfer portal is looking like this right now. Well with distance I really wanted I think a lot of girls had this dream and I certainly was one of them I really wanted to go play for Patrick Murphy for a long time and so I'm from Charlotte so Tuscaloosa was about eight hours away and I was always like I'll do whatever it takes to go play at Alabama eight hours is nothing then I got to college playing at ECU and I was only four hours away and I was like, this is too far. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I didn't realize how different eight hours is. I mean, that's far and I'm very close to my parents and I have no siblings. So it is really mm -hmm. far. Eight hours is far. So I know a lot, of, a lot of college athletes are like, maybe I need to be close for my family, mm -hmm. which is a very valid reason I think, or injuries or stuff like that. But like you said, kind of firing where your loyalty lies when it comes to a program, I think you put it perfectly, has become an issue, unfortunately. Well, and it used to be go to a junior college if you were having issues, go to a junior college, fix those, and then transfer to a bigger program mm -hmm. if you needed to. What we're seeing now is mid-major programs are becoming the old-school junior college program where they go in, hone their skills, get a little bit better, get their feet underneath them and wet in the college ranks, and then they transfer out of that program to a bigger program. And that, to me, is really difficult because those mid-major programs thrive on the recruiting and the people that they bring in. They recruit quality character, and they're getting bit in the rear end every now and again with players who find success and then jump ship. Yeah. So we'll talk about your career post-college. Uh, you got into broadcasting and everything else. Tell me about how you got started in that. Well, that's a really unique story that's maybe too long for the podcast, <laughs> but the short version is I went back and played with USA Baseball. After my collegiate career, I played for Phil Necro and the Colorado Silver Bullets, which is a pro baseball team that was comprised of all women that played only men's teams. It was a barnstorming tour that we would go on in the summer one month of spring training held at the Boston Red Sox facility in Fort Myers and Florida. And then we would travel the country from Alaska to Maine to Florida to California for three solid months. That baseball experience for me is what opened the door because I, I hung my cleats up after one season of that. The team folded and there were no more opportunities for us to play. So 13 years later, I had three kids and I was talking to one of my old teammates from the Silver Bullets, she said, you should try out for Team USA. And I said, Team USA softball? She said, <laughs> no, you, 
Team USA Baseball. I said, that's a thing? And so I didn't even know that that was a program that was available. So I tried out for that team, made that team. We played in Venezuela in the World Cup, got bronze. But when I came back, my body was so broken. I mean, you can't leave a sport for over a decade, come back and be like, oh, I'm just going to pick up where right. I left off. <laughs> so I stepped away from the game, moved into a coaching role with Team USA. And with that coaching role, stepped also onto the board of directors with USA Baseball. And with, in doing so, was going to softball tournaments to recruit players who had had to leave the baseball world just for recruiting dollars or whatever it was, the reasons that they left baseball. I wanted to give them opportunities to play baseball again. In that, I ran into Meg Aronowitz at one of those tournaments, and who is the coordinating who at the time was the coordinating producer for softball. And she said, "Come over and do an interview." I did an interview. She said, "Oh, I really like the way you speak. Have you ever thought about doing <laughs> softball and on TV?" And I was like, "No." She said, "Would you like to?" I said, sure. So my path to TV very unorthodox. Not like you can duplicate that um, but being able to set records nationally I had a couple national records still on the books at the time and because of that it gave me the option to step into a role to talk about a game that I love that I had actually left in the dust for quite some time. Well, you and I kind of talked about beforehand how you have to get a foot in the door the door has to open once it's kind of open you just got to kick it in and I was lucky enough to be able to be asked to call ECU softball games last season, and I was terrified. Um, my very first game, I had never called a game, and to find out it was going to be on ESPN+, Plus, I was just kind of, I didn't know what to think, but everybody mm -hmm. kind of told me, Courtney, it's something you've played your entire life. Just get on there and talk about it. It doesn't work like no, that. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and unfortunately, like I said, it, it, fortunately and unfortunately, it was ECU, and I have a big problem with like not being biased. So every time we yes. hit a home run, you know, I wanted to be like, woo, but I can't. And so you can't say we, you can't say no, us, you no. can't say them. No. It's all about being, you know, impartial and yeah. seeing both sides of the game. That was the problem with my very first game. I, I live in Lexington, Kentucky, mm -hmm. and I was calling a University of Kentucky game, and I had coached at UK when a couple of, like, quite a while before, but how do you not say we or exactly. us or them? And so in that game, my play-by-play -play kept saying, remember, not us. And I'm like... <laughs> Got it. The voices when they're in your ear. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember one time I was talking and he was in my ear. Mm -hmm. And I guess I, I like thought somebody was actually sitting there. So I stopped talking. Yes. And I was like, I just stopped talking on air. It's so embarrassing when you do that. No. And there's no training for it. That's no. the hard part. They just say, oh, you've played. Go talk. Right. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of terminology. I, t I was talking to Meg Aronowitz about it at one point, And I said, it's like everyone around you speaking Japanese and you're just supposed to understand what's being said because they're talking about B-roll and soft full clips and the McGurkin in the bottom and the bug and I'm like I don't know what any of those things mean I know how to turn a double play I know how to stretch a single into a double I have no idea what you're talking about so there is a huge learning curve so whenever I see a new face or a new name pop across an email I'll always reach out and say let me know how I can help because stepping into this world while super fun and really really cool you step in pretty green and pretty naive as to what is being expected of you what i mean you have to figure out what to wear you have to figure yes. out like there's you have <laughs> no idea you when you play on a team they give you the uniform they tell you when to get to the bus they give you everything mm -hmm. when you step into the role of tv you have no idea you schedule your own tra travel you show up to the games when you're supposed like so it's nice to be able to now have enough seasoning under my belt to be able to say 
how can I help? Right. Here's some of the basics. And I always try to reach out to those new faces and new names on emails that I'm, that I'm familiar with to say, let me help. Let me just hold your hand while you walk the ropes. I remember texting Patrick the night beforehand and I'm like, what do I wear? <laughs> no, you have no idea. And then he's, uh, you know, he's like, Courtney, you know, the camera's going to come in the booth. And I was like, okay, like I look so stiff on camera. I, I can't go back and watch my first game or even listen. It was... Trust me. I so understand. <laughs> it is awful. It's Not so yours. Bad. Mine was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So now we have Athletes Unlimited behind us and I think everybody in Greenville is very excited about this. What do you think about Athletes Unlimited? It being fairly new. I know a lot of people in the softball world, including myself, were over the moon. So what do you think about it? It's got a lot of, you know, looks and everything, I think. Well, it started back in 2020. Excited to see that something in COVID positive came through, right? But more than anything, with Athletes Unlimited, it's a professional option now for our sport. There's always been Team USA for softball, but that was, you couldn't be paid. You had to stay an amateur. Well, now you have an opportunity to play professionally. We see so many big names from our sport, icons, that are here in Greenville right now getting ready to play in the games tomorrow night on Wednesday but more than anything it's it's just so cool to be able to see the big names be able to still play and be relatable to these young girls to watch the little leaguers look to these players it's so cool because they're in awe mm -hmm. absolutely starstruck and the way that little league and au have combined and really integrated one to another this week has been so cool to be able to combine the icons of the game with the up-and-coming talent she talks about little league and how they're excited i am 24 and starstruck <laughs> some of these girls that are on this team are younger than me i'm like fresh out of college and i'm like oh my gosh you know uh katherine sandercock and odyssey and i actually played with mia davidson we played travel ball together so she's someone you know i texted her and i was like guess what like, i'll be at the game tomorrow but it's people like that and Haley mcclenny and whoever else that i looked up to we get people that just graduated college i've been retired for two years now and i'm like oh my gosh i have to meet these girls you know? like it never yeah. goes away but these no. girls were so so good like katherine sandercock like i mentioned i mean She's gonna be at the press conference tomorrow and you kinda gotta think, how excited is she to get up here and talk about something that she loves so much? Well, to have a platform, right? To be able to continue to give back because that's one of the things that we were grateful for were the people that came before us that kicked down the doors, that broke the glass ceilings, that gave us opportunities to play. This is before we were on TV. Now you're looking at opportunities that none of us even imagined were possible. The next thing is trying to find a way to make it so that these professional players don't have to have other jobs. Their pay right now is not at a place where they can just train, play, and be done. They've got to have other jobs. They've got families that they're trying to take care of. And so there's still a ways to go, but so cool to see where the game continues to go. My least favorite question I get from people is, there's professional softball. Professional softball is a thing. Do you get that question often? All the time. Me too. Right? It's, it's just part <laughs> of it because it's not visible. But with ESPN jumping in and showing a lot of the AU games on the plus on ESPN plus or on the linear networks, it's cool to be able to see the way the game is growing and the visibility that it's getting. But more than anything, it just it's the pay piece because it's not being played in front of big, huge crowds in huge arenas. Softball stadiums, you know, are smaller than a baseball stadium. The, it, the environment is more intimate. The environment is a little bit more closed in. And as a fan, you're right in on the action. You're so close. The backstops are short. So what I tell people all the time is if you've seen it on TV and you're impressed or you think you like it, you need to go in person. Going in person changes everything. The game is so fast. It is lightning quick. Whether 
whether it's the pitchers or the hitters, the ball pops off the bat, the field is short, the ball flies. It's such a dynamic game, and I always encourage people, if you think it's cool on TV, you've got to get there and put your butt in the stands to watch it. <laughs> I've never been to Oklahoma City. I haven't been yet, but I watch it on TV. I've been a softball fan and player for going on 20 years, and but every time I watch the Women's College World Series, it's like, Wow, and I would pay and, and do anything to be there no, because have it's to just pay. such. Well, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean so I would pay expensive. so much, you know. I mean, but I would just, I would love to be in those stands and get to be around that environment. And you can't duplicate that environment. The environment there is electric, especially if Oklahoma or Oklahoma oh, State okay. is playing. It's out of control. <laughs> That's a home game. But, but the way, it totally is. Yeah. But when they when they expanded the stadium they added another level of seating they've taken the stands all the way down the line to see the way that that stadium has grown and when you watch it now we've actually outgrown that stadium even with all of the additions to the field so so cool to watch just the popularity of our sport and the the way that it is supported by the fans by the little girls and then to be able to interact with the players afterwards with the autograph sessions, it's the coolest thing around. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to say about softball, your career, anything? I'm just Floor blessed. I'm just blessed. Honestly, more than anything, I look back and I think I never would have dreamed that I would still be involved with sports close to 50 years old. Like to be able to still be involved with the sport and impact the next generation of players or just give them kudos, to be able to give them the, the, the cool words, the, the exposure and the accessibility. So cool, the way that ESPN has stepped in and given us a platform to not just play the game, but to let other people see how we play the game. It's not Bobby Sox. Like we are true athletes that are full of grit, fire and vigor, and we are doing everything we can to just push this sport forward because it's just so fun. Agreed, agreed. Well, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. No, love being here. Thanks for having me. I'll see you guys next week.